This is podcast 260, entitled Transgressive Enough for You? And we've just heard from The Tramps, That's Where the Happy People Go, from 1976. And the um, cast is occasioned by the... um, insight or found objects, rather, of popular expression of love and hope and optimism and also resonance and delight and fun that is not found in a tremendous amount of the art and the art and uh, the um, movies and the programs and the images that we believe are normative and um, fundamental, which are primarily birthed in transgression, or at least the narrative, which is highly uh, movable, a movable feast of transgression. And um, it relates to the kind of unmasking of so much that people think is establishment and kind of normative thinking that is really based on anger, and um, the urge to transgress some imagined or narrative-grounded barrier or boundary, which um, is being revealed. Uh, And uh, underneath it, there is the profound human universal aspiration for belovedness and connection and therefore hope and optimism. And uh, let me tell you where I'm coming from and the song uh, by the Tramps, who was a wonderful group, Um, catches the joy and the delight and the hope of fulfillment and happiness that is actually underneath uh, a kind of nightmarish myth of transgression that covers over so much that we think is good. And um, uh, this is not... um, You may say, oh, Paul's being reactionary. Well, let me tell you, it's actually founded on an alternative uh, amount of material that has come my way recently, which is sort of, again, like so many other things today, has kind of unmasked a a previously hidden but um, dominating, powerful perspective that has really kind of crushed out some alternatives. What in the world is he saying? Well, I was in FOPS the uh, brilliant uh, DVD and CD store in Cambridge, England, sort of the last of the Mohegans when it comes to DVDs. And they were featuring a uh, the sort of 102-unit uh, uh, catalog of British vintage classics that have been released on Blu-ray and also in beautiful uh, kind of uh, prints in the last four or five years of British vintage movies that um, basically have, have not been seen. Uh, They're movies that, it turns out, were highly regarded in their day, were uh, put together by great popular artists, and uh, were, um, in fact, uh, singled out for tremendous awards at the uh, Venice Film Festival and the Berlin Film Festival in the sort of mid-late 40s, early 50s, mid-50s, even going up to the very early 60s, movies of tremendous weight (coughs) that nevertheless, uh, had been almost completely forgotten. I can say this because um, I grew up with this material. I I was nine and ten years old when uh, my friend Lloyd and I and another friend named Bill discovered, really, the art film and the uh, power of the French New Wave, and I'll talk about that in a minute. And we were absolutely and totally enamored and seduced by what is now utterly mainstream. So when I look at what's going on at the New York Film Festival at Lincoln Center or any number of other sort of university film festivals, I kind of roll my eyes 
because we were we were seeing Ugetsu, you know, back in 1962, 61. We were just absolutely overcome by Les Quatre Cent Coups, the 400 Blows, you know, when it first came out. We were utterly into Pagnol and uh, Rivette and uh, Godard, for heaven's sake, when, uh, you know, when um, we were little. And uh, so um, what happened to us early and happened to sort of, uh, it looks almost like when you read the papers in the New Yorker, sort of everybody uh, was that we saw the dominant motif and um, metaphor and uh, dynamic in popular art, and especially in the movies and also in music, as being transgressive. That is, this is something that would transgress authority. It was a what today is called speaking truth to power, which is very hypocritical, because when you actually do speak truth to power today, the people that really have the power you're completely and totally stomped on and destroyed in two seconds. Um, but the um, the narrative was that here's there's the bourgeois middle class Eisenhower era, whatever you want to call it, that was dominating life, and it had to be transgressed. And this is why the Beat Movement was so powerful, and Jack Kerouac, who was wonderful and was misunderstood by the Beat Movement, in, in my view, um, and, and so much of the transgression of the 60s, and it came to kind of a, a massive um, head in the years 1968, 69, and 70, and we were right there. Mary and I were right there uh, in it. But the dynamic was that the purpose of art is to transgress powerful, um, arbitrary boundaries that are just dying and waiting to be rebelled against. So what is the sort of classic uh, narrative um, expression of that view? And it's something that I completely accepted Although, um, because I had a natural streak of kind of religious, re- religiously anchored kind of conservatism with a little bit of uh, uh, William Burke uh, thrown, Edmund, Edmund Burke thrown in, um, and um, thanks to my friend Charles Tharp and others, um, the, uh, the, the, the sort of the, the, the work that encapsulates this, and it has enormous legs, and you can always tell a film like this when it becomes dressed up by the Criterion Collection and made into now something that you want to transgress because it has so much power. The movie is The Graduate. I can remember seeing it the two weeks after it opened. The power of it, the what we liked, teenage boys, uh, immediately there was a shot in it, a particular shot of a body double of Anne Bancroft in a scene with Dustin Hoffman. That That's really, to tell you the honest truth, that's what uh, gave everybody a huge charge, this kind of one shot of, uh, of Anne Bancroft. And obviously the plastic section in the underwater, which was inspired, and the man who made the movie was brilliant. And the conclusion and the graduate the, the the theme mrs robinson jesus loves you more than you can know <clears throat> that kind of elevated it in my eyes but the conclusion was explicitly anti-Christian and anti-church. You may remember. See it again. It's it's worse than you remember. It specifically sees the cross, uh, the a cross that's carried in a procession, uh, as uh, as that which is locking up and uh, locking out the spontaneous combustion love of uh, the Catherine Ross character and Dustin Hoffman. And it's, uh, it, it associates the Presbyterian Church and the cross with a kind of high society thing on the West Coast that is deeply um, um, closed and uh, to be really destroyed. Now, there's something to that, and the movie excited us no end. I mean, I, I, I have the ticket that I uh, went with somebody else, and it made a tremendous impression on us. But um, you look at The Graduate, which is the narrative of transgression, 
uh, very self-conscious, and it sort of fit. And look at how much money they made. And look, look at all the careers of these people. Look at the power of it now in the Criterion Collection. But then you go to FOP in um, October of 2018, and you're confronted with <coughs> dozens of movies, in this case from England, that you never saw but were considered wonderful in their day. And then you start to see them. So I begin to see them one after another. I see Mandy by Alexander McKendrick, who later became famous in this country for uh, a movie called The Sweet Smell of Success that was transgressive. Uh, Mandy, uh, a, a movie about a deaf little girl that is as optimistic and powerful in which a upper-class kind of grandfather figure is, is becomes the agent of the most powerful redemption and transformation and a changed life and in his daughter. Uh, daughter's life, uh, son's life, a changed marriage, and a changed view of a handicapped child in the most remarkably positive and optimistic manner. You see The Angry Silence, which is not a movie I've seen, but I know it outraged everybody because it's really a conservative movie about the labor union movement, and yet it's full of a, a human story about a man uh, trying to defend and protect and sustain and comfort and solace and be the support of it. Uh, his wife, uh, who's pregnant with their second child. And uh, you see... Um uh, 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 the Small World of Sammy Lee, which is ultimately non-transgressive, which is a powerful picture of a, with a strong uh, Jewish element explicitly uh, that is um, non-transgressive and, and, and deeply... Um, I don't know what to say. This is, uh, see the small world of Sammy Lee or The Sound Barrier with Sir Ralph Richardson that was directed, I think, by David Lean, but written by Terence Radigan. Now, the Radigan example is important because Terence Radigan wrote play after play after play about universals. He wrote plays basically about love, the loss of love, uh, hurt, the pain of the loss of love, the desert of the loss of love, and in many cases, the redemption of the loss of love. And I'm thinking of separate tables, and I'm thinking of the deep blue sea, and I'm thinking of the character of the, of the German doctor in the deep blue sea, who's basically a priest and who understands the, the profound necessity of abreacting uh, grief, loss, and anger, and uh, desertedness of this woman who's so pathetic and yet so very, you have such sympathy towards her. And he basically saves this woman, uh, and through, through what we would call the medicine of the gospel and gospel compassion. And uh, Radigan wrote these plays one after another after another, and then suddenly John Osborne came along with, what is it, uh, Room at the Top, but uh, I, I, I want to say Saturday night and Sunday morning, but that's not right. A room at the Top, that's not quite right. Um, the Ash, the, the, the Kitchen Sink School of Thought, Angry Young Man, um, the Entertainer, and that is, I think, John Osborne, I think. But there's one other big one. But these, um, these, uh, all of a sudden, one's attention in British movies was completely captured by transgressive movies of the so-called angry young man variety. And um, Lloyd and I, uh, we just fell for it. We just thought that The Loneliness of the Long Distance Runner, which is highly transgressive, was the most powerful thing we've ever seen. But when you look back on it now, what's most powerful about it is the frustrated relationship of the Tommy Courtney character and his, uh, his girlfriend, and the the uh, the scenes of him running through the woods uh, from Borstal or Reform School, which are da 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 I mean, they're songs of adolescent elation as this young terrorized soul, deeply conflicted with his awful father and his worst mother, absent father, and this really intensely wicked mother uh, is uh, trying to find freedom as he 
from Michael Redgrave, I think, it, as it turns out, is running through the forest in Nottinghamshire. Fabulous, fabulous, fabulous. But we were uh, convinced that the only narrative uh, in movies was either the Angry Young Man Kitchen Sink school of thought in England, or in France it was the New Wave. And so Jean-Luc Godard became, you know, breathless. Uh, I took Mary once to an extreme Maoist to Jean-Luc Godard movie in our first year at Harvard College, my first year at Harvard College, and I took her to see this movie with Lloyd called Wind from the East of Wanderlust, and, and it's extremely transgressive. It's a Maoist film, explicitly a horrible, horrible ideological tract. And I mean, I, I just about destroyed my relationship with the woman who then much later became my wife. I just about completely destroyed it overnight because it was a, it was, that's where we were. That's where we were. Are you there? I mean, do you, have you swallowed the bait that the whole purpose of art expression is, uh, is uh, transgression? Let me give you another example. Um, if you look at the p picture of popular music, you can find some great purveyors of popular music who uh, like the tramps, but they're in a disco uh, mood. Um, you will find um, uh, works of, uh, of uh, popular uh, art that um, 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 uh, that th 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 actually deal with, with, with the human drive for love and the hope for love and the power of love when it comes to transform, redeem, and sustain, and anchor, and uh, make life new. Whether you want to call it the divine love as expressed in human love, talk about analogy any way you wish from the top down or from the bottom up, although I prefer the bottom up because it's true. It's, it's certifiable. I mean, I mean it's, it's empirically um, certifiable uh, truth from the bottom up, and then you learn about God. And then you find out that the story of Christ is the absolute ground zero place of this kind of love that everybody, everybody, everybody is looking for. But um, you, look at what the kind of works you, you look at. And I was thinking, believe it or not, of some of, of Matt Monroe. And I was thinking of Matt Monroe as compared to Johnny Rotten and Sid Vicious. Now, who do we, in the 80s, who did we come to believe was the authentic voice of the English persona? And there's an element of truth in this if you've spent time in England, especially among angry working class people who now are angry middle class people financially and not quite so angry, but very, very um, messed up, conflicted people. And uh, uh, some of them very rich now, but you, you see... Um, uh, the, the the Sex Pistols and uh, their song about the Queen and uh, Sid Vicious and you think that well that you know dying in a hotel and with his girlfriend or whatever in uh, whatever in uh, Cartman uh, in uh, New York and you sort of say well this is really the essence of pop music well it's not I mean what about Matt Monroe and who's, who's Matt Monroe well Matt Monroe sold more sold more records worldwide than the Sex Pistols ever came close to selling Roger Whittaker. <laughs> But Matt Monroe was wonderful. He was just a, an incredibly resonant voice. He was an Englishman who sang popular songs. He sang the, uh, the, fam the, the famous song from, from Russia with love. Uh, unbelievable. And he sang Mary's, little ch Mary's Boy Child, a great Christmas classic that I think comes from originally the, Medi uh, the, the, the Caribbean. But he sings it with such soul. Love story, there will never be. I mean, Matt Monroe's, uh, would you call it sort of a, a baritone? I'm not quite sure what his voice is classified as, but it doesn't matter. 
you listen to Matt Monroe and you're just, you're, you're taken away. You're just, you can't help yourself. You're just taken away into the, the eternal uh, ocean of uh, love and hope and uh, all the things that uh, Crossing the Bar is about by uh, Alfred Lord Tennyson. And yet you listen to the Sex Pistols and actually it's very limited. It's a very limited range. And, uh, and yet, yet do, you, do you listen to Matt Monroe? I mean, have I listened to Matt Monroe? Um, so I guess what I'm saying, uh, you know, this really needs to be um, thought through whether we have profoundly... Oh, Scott Walker. Scott Walker in his great era. In, not in his, uh, you know, I love the Walker Brothers too. Believe me, I have some stories to tell about the Walker Brothers one day as they relate to myself, which, which uh, are very important to me and relate to some very interesting people. But that's another story. But uh, Scott Walker's sort of first five albums, solo four albums, are, are powerful. I mean, Jacques Brel in the background, they're powerful. Um, uh, Pictures, uh, um, Jimmy Webb, uh, obviously Richard Harris. Uh, these songs cut to the core of human pain and human suffering, and yet there's often the uh, the deep zeal to look for things not in purely uh, let's destroy it all, but let's find love. They're about those things which are eternal, and that's uh, those things which are fitting, and those things which you're going to be thinking about when you're dying. You will not be thinking about Sid Vicious when you're dying. You will not be thinking about Johnny Rotten. You will not be thinking about... I can give you any number of people you will not be thinking about, but if you hear a song that has some kind of deep, uh, plaintive, uh, open-handed looking for that which is meet and right, which is uh, the love that we all are craving in our inmost beings. By Matt Monroe, you'll just cry and cry and cry over at, uh, you know, UAB Hospital in Birmingham or in Lawrence Hospital in Rye or Greenwich Hospital or uh, Orlando Medical Center, Orlando Health. You'll just be going to pieces. So what I'm just trying to say is... Let's begin to see through the uh, transgressive question and see underneath it. And I would recommend that you look at these British vintage classics. You might start with Mandy. Anyway, you're the greatest, and I'm continuing on a series. I'm going to do another one on this same theme um, coming up. Uh, and uh, we're going to be talking about Bread, the group from the 70s, Bread. And then we're going to get to Scott Walker in episode 262. Love you, and this is a good time song of the highest order. Ladies and gentlemen, the Tams.